Good morning once again, those who join us this morning to study the word. It is a privilege for us to come to the table of God's grace and to his word where we find Christ. And I hope this is your desire to find Christ everywhere you go. Um, you find Christ in your situations, you find Christ in the morning, you find Christ in your scripture, and that helps us to appreciate what Christ has done for us. The book of Colossians is an amazing book. It's been such a blessing for me. I hardly go to any other reading for now, for the last couple of months, but in the book of Colossians, because I'm kind of sinking in in the book. And there's so many things that prompt my faith in Christ that I feel no need to go anywhere else. But I hope it's the same for you. For the last couple of weeks, we were going through the book of Colossians and we observe the glory of Christ. Max, one of our pastors, he led us to this glorious passage in chapter 1 of Colossians 15 and down. And we saw that this Christ is, is something special, something that we have never seen in the nature, in the universe. He is the, such a unique person, full of God, full of God. And this man who appear in the flesh, he, behind the scenes, we saw that he is this glorious and supreme ruler of all things and filler of all things. Why? Because he himself is full of God, full of God's love full of God's holiness and splendor and power. And therefore to him belongs all the dominion and he's the head over all and head over church. Now, why would Paul lead us to such a high peak of the Everest to see and to observe Christ? It's not just to leave us there and just to go down to our mundane things that now we have to deal with. Now we have to deal with our wives somehow separately from Christ. So in other words, why and how this Christ connects to us? You find yourself in the problem when you are in the problem or in, the, uh, in, in let's say, in dispute, let's say, with your spouse. And when we try to solve the problem, often Christ is somewhere outside the door. You know, we lock the door so that kids would not hear us how we argue with one another. But with that door, often we lock Christ outside. And he is somewhere there and we're trying to fix it by our own standards or by our own rules or by our flesh or by our some knowledge. Christ has to do with all of this thing. And Paul says in chapter 1 verse 24, last time we saw that Paul says, because of this example of Christ and fullness, that moves me, moves me to reflect Christ in very specific way that I will suffer like Christ suffer for the church and fill what is lacking in Christ's affliction today because I could suffer when he is not here. And I could bring this glorious message of salvation accomplished by this God, Jesus, and I will suffer for it. And we were saying last time that Christian suffering is not when Christian suffers. All people suffer. 
Christian sufferings is when you're suffering to see Christ in others. How are we doing at that? Paul is definitely an example. Now we are moving to verses 28 to 29. We'll read 24 to 29. And my main focus would be 28 and 29. And we'll see why Paul go to such extent to suffer for people so that Christ would be in them. What's the purpose? What's the point of whole ministry? Now let's read with me. Verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Crazy Paul, huh? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. In filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. So that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. To whom, to these saints, God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Now I called this message, spiritual maturity in Christ. And so that we don't get carried away, I have a subtitle for this, which means, or which reads, spiritual maturity is not about you. It's about Christ in you. Spiritual maturity is not about you. It's about Christ in you. And today, I I want us to be challenged, really, with, with this understanding of spiritual maturity, let me bring you back to, like you're probably flying somewhere in your mind, back and ask you a direct question. What do you think about yourself? Are you spiritually mature? Are you spiritually mature? And here's like a dilemma, right? Uh, if I say yes, well, if nobody hears it, then, you know, it's kind of fine. But if I say in front of my wife, like, yeah, I feel like spiritually mature, then, you know, she will definitely point out some things. And, and if I say in the church, like, yeah, I'm spiritual. I'm a pastor, by the way, so I'm spiritually mature. Like people would point out some things in my life that, you know, might show otherwise. But what is the spiritual maturity? And question, how do you get it? How do you get it? We have this phrase, progressive sanctification. We're going towards, but how do you get it? And how do you measure your spiritual maturity? How do, you, how do you measure up? Now, I do sometimes some fixing in my house, and I, and I cut some lugs and cut some two-by-fours, and I was fixing something. I forgot what, but I'm fi- fixing something. But it, it's not had it happened to me not one time. And I have this measuring tape, which has both metrics and inches. I don't know if it happens to you so that you go and measure up with inches, but then when you go and cut it, you cut it in, 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 in metrics, in centimeters. And what you got is, is short stick, which is really useless for nothing. So the question is, how do you measure up your spirituality? 
Are you spiritually mature? And I want you to think really carefully because to, to, to really challenge you yourself and on what spiritual level are you? Let's say there's a hundred spiritual levels, right? We're going in a school of spirituality and there's a hundred spiritual levels and, and you are so mature and so, uh, uh, would be sanctified that you, let's say you are like apostle Paul on level like five. Right. You're, you're there. You just, you just achieve. You're in the fifth grade of spiritual maturity. And you're going there, right? Well, the question is, how do you know that you're in level five? And, and can you go back a level? Can you skip a level? And what is the biblical way of thinking about this? And when I study my scripture, I, I, I kind of were hard-pressed and I was confused a little bit, like, I don't see that. One of the way how we try to become spiritually mature is by applying spiritual disciplines, right? So you got to read the Bible, right? You got to read that every day. You have to have this in, I love the Bible. I want you to read your Bible. Spiritual discipline in other, like you have to pray. And, and then in the prayer, if you pray two hours, you will kind of feel like you're spiritually mature. But if you pray 15 minutes, yeah, you kind of, that and we kind of measure up by our own standards even in what we do applying spiritual disciplines trying to achieve spiritual maturity but i want to point out that spiritual maturity is is in christ (laughs) it is in christ it is not in you and it's not about you and it's not about your effort and it's not about your power and it's not about you could do it It's actually all about Christ. Now, D.A. Carson wrote an article, and and I think it's an excellent point that he's making. He's not bashing spiritual discipline. He said, this is not how he gets your spirituality. Spiritual disciplines follow your love and devotion to Christ, and this is what flows out, but they're never going to get you to Christ And they're never going to get you to spiritual maturity. He says this, it is not helpful to list Christian responsibility and label them spiritual disciplines. It's just not helpful. Why? That seemed to be reasoning behind the theology that smuggles in, say, creation, care, and almsgiving. But by the same logic, if out of Christian kindness, let's say you give to an old lady, the giving becomes a spiritual discipline. And by such logic, any Christian obedience is a spiritual discipline. That is, it makes us more spiritual. If we do those things, we become more spiritual. Using this category of spiritual disciplines in that way has two unfortunate ends. First, if every instance of obedience is a spiritual discipline, there's nothing special about it. It's just Christian life. But the second thing, such a way of thinking about spiritual discipline Supply persuades us into thinking that growth and spirituality is function of nothing more than conformity to the demands of a lot of rules. What he's saying is, if you think that way, that you're going to become spiritual by applying some rules that you make for yourself. Let's say you need to read 10 minutes or two hours. And, and by that, you try to achieve your spiritual maturity. 
you will be greatly disappointed because that would lead you to shortage of your spirituality. He said, yet there is also a great deal of emphasis on growth in love, in trust, in understanding the ways of the living God, in the work of the spirit, in filling and empowering us. And I want to tell you this, that spiritual maturity is the aim and the goal, and that is the, the most desirable thing. But how do we get there? And I will tell you this, by Jesus alone, by Christ alone. You see, you didn't start your Christian life with Jesus and then progress in some other disciplines. Jesus is the beginning of your journey to God. He is the middle of your journey to God, and he is the end. He is the finisher of your faith. He is mine. And so you would never move from Christ to some other things to progress. You're always moving in Christ, by Christ, for Christ. Now, in our text, verse 28, 29, we want to observe a few things that kind of helps us to analyze, like, what do I do with the spiritual maturity? Uh, what's my focus? What's my goal? What do I get power? I want to give you three points, and I, I want you to follow me. I hope and I pray that you would follow me in my thinking, and I, I trust the Lord that he will do something good out of it. But the point of this that our spiritual maturity is directed, connected, directly connected to our realization of our completeness in Christ. Let me say it the other way. We must attain spiritual maturity. We will attain spiritual maturity by un unity with Christ. By realizing that we already have. In other words, we must attain of what we already have in Christ. <laughs> There's already not yet reality. Maturity and completeness already ours in Christ. And yet we must achieve what is already ours. Now let me explain that a little bit. So we'll take this passage in three points. The first point is, what's the goal for us? What is the goal of pastoral ministry? What is the goal of Paul's ministry? What is the end result that we all want to get? We want to glorify God. And Paul says here, we proclaim him, admonishing every man, verse 28, and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So the goal of our walk with Jesus, the goal of our beginning and the end of our beginning is to start with Christ and end with Christ and that who makes us complete. And that goal is for everyone. It's like you can't escape because if Paul wants to emphasize something, he wants to emphasize every man. Like every man in this room, every man on that couch, every man. He said, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete. Now, you can't escape. Paul is just like on a mission. He said, well, I want to make the whole world complete, complete in Christ. And this is obvious from Paul's messages and Paul's Paul's books. He always talks about you want to be full, useful both on personal and corporate level. 
You want to be useful for the Lord and complete and full and blameless before him as a person. You want to be complete and full and useful as a church. In Ephesians chapter 4, he takes this corporate reality and he said, as we supply to one another, we became a mature man as a church, not as an individual only. When Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, he says that we all going from glory to glory, all corporate thing. And for, to achieve this goal, we saw that Paul goes through a great struggle. He said, man, this is my mission. This is my mission. I want to present every man complete, everyone. And so I want to go suffer for that. And I will bring them to completion. I will unfold God's plan. I will preach the word of God and I will preach Christ. So it's obvious that the notion of maturity is variously expressed in Paul's writings. Nevertheless, it is clear that apostles' concern is to urge and enable Christians, individually and corporately, to move forward to maturity. Now, why would Paul do that? Well, because there's a problem. What's the problem? What's the obvious problem? And the way to maturity is, yeah, you said it, immaturity, right? <laughs> we just immature. Uh, I'm going to lead you through a couple of passages. You don't have to go there. You know them by probably, you know, in, in your memory. First Corinthians 3, when Paul addresses the church in Corinth, he, he calls them. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men. You're just not. <laughs> uh, but also, as to a man of flesh and as infants. So you all guys, whoever that follows apostle, Apollos, and then and, and Peter, so you all guys, you know, kind of infants. I give you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. So you don't have taste buds, you don't have the desire, you are acting like a child. Indeed, even now, after so many teachings, after years, even now you are not yet able, for you're still fleshly. And Paul says, well, you look, immature person is a child. He's a child because he acts like a child, because he thinks like a child. He's immature. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, author of Hebrews addresses them again as infants. He said, for everyone who partakes only of milk and not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. And you would say, well, yeah, but, but we read the scripture and we, we know the doctrine and we take systematic theology, but we eat solid food. But solid food is for the mature, he said, who because of practice, they senses train to discern good and evil. Now, let me ask you a question. How are you on that point, discerning good and evil? And I tell you if, you, if you go in with your cell phone every night at bed to bed and wake up with it, I don't think that's good choices that you make. Or, or how about those money that you spend for nothing? Uh, how about that, that yell at your spouse last week? I mean, we all seems like sometimes making wrong discernment. Even though we eat in food, it doesn't produce the solid result. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, he again urges them, brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in your... In evil, be infant, but in your thinking, be mature. So there's a problem in the church. And you could identify with that problem. That sometimes you're acting like a very mature person, and sometimes you're acting like a baby. Sometimes you, you react like a baby. The baby is selfish, and therefore it's useless for the society. Selfish person in the church become useless because he is immature, 
all his attention is upon himself. He's not ready to give. He's not ready to plug in. He is not ready to develop his spiritual giftedness. He is all about himself. Therefore, he cannot discern anything. He's self-centered. And so Paul says, look, that's the problem in the churches. Do you think our church is mature church? Are you thinking about yourself as mature right now? And how mature are you? Well, Paul says, this is my purpose of my ministry. Purpose for all Christians and all unchristians to get them in the knowledge of Christ and present them to complete in Christ. The question is when? When does Paul wants to do that? Now, there's two notions in, the cha- in, the, in this verse that he wants to present them complete in Christ at the last day. You know, finally, we have this progressive sanctification when we kind of walk in and Paul is like behind us and teaching us and helping us and to present us to Christ. And that might be, I mean, we're all going to stand before Christ at one day. But I think what Paul means here is not just at some day that he wants to present them mature. You know, it's okay that you're immature right now. Just keep walking, you know, step by step. Someday you're going to be mature. But Paul says, no. I want to present every man while I'm alive here, right here, right now. In the same manner, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul ends the letter and he said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Completely. And you may... And and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of your Lord Jesus Christ. And we think, okay, we need to be, make sure that we at the last moment be complete. But brothers and sisters, (laughs) Paul is urging us to be complete now. Not tomorrow, right now. And he explained this purpose and and he said, well, this is what my desire, I want you to be complete. Now, This word complete has many, many variations and people twist it and wanted to uh, fold it as is pleases or as they fit their theology. The word complete could be translated as the whole, as complete, as mature, or as perfect. For instance, the most famous usage of this word or variation of this word in Matthew 5.48 When Jesus said, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How's it possible? How's it possible, you would say? In Philippians 3.15, it seems like Paul, it's almost struggling with with this perfectness. He says in verse 15, let us therefore as many as perfect. And he says, I'm perfect. And many of us perfect have this attitude. And then earlier, He says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. And I want to stop and ask Paul, Paul, brother, make your mind. I mean, are you perfect or or you're not? I mean, what are you trying to to say here? You know, Paul is saying that perfectness that will happen at the last day, it's the goal and that would happen. But right now he's wanted to be completely perfect sync with Christ like we are already. Another usage of this word, you use it in in Old Testament, is a complete devotion to Christ. Complete devotion to God. 1 Kings 8.61, Solomon 
praise. And he says, using the same word, he says, let your heart be wholly devoted to the Lord. And in that way, our devotion to God attaches to the perfection of Christ and makes us perfect in his eyes. See, like Peter Davidson, he said, maturity is not some vague notion of spiritual growth or moral progress. Better version of you is not perfect. But what is? Actualization of the redemption in Christ in personal and corporate Christian living. It is actualization. It's when you actualize Christ's perfection in you. When you don't try to achieve your perfection, but you attach yourself to Christ's perfection, and that makes you holy, perfect, acceptable in God's eyes. Does this make sense? That you are not trying to achieve by any spiritual disciplines? Look, if we started with Christ and not with Ten Commandments, when those Ten Commandments all could do is to hit you at your head by, and kill you. Why would we apply any other different standard as we want to progress to our final perfection in Christ, which happens only by his change in our body and sinlessness? How in the world that in this middle process that we begin with perfect Christ and want to end with perfect Christ and perfectness that comes from him, now we are trying to achieve some other way. Brothers and sisters, that's impossible. If you try to achieve this completeness, fullness, by some other means than Christ, you will be greatly disappointed. What we need to do is to understand This is the goal. I understand the goal. Paul clearly speaks. That's my goal for every man. That's my goal. How do I get there? How do I get there? The point number two, I believe it's clear that spiritual maturity is actualized through union with Christ. It's actualized. It's available now. You don't have to wait. Spiritual maturity must be realized by every Christian today. That would lead to their completeness in Christ even the last day. See, Paul, he, he doesn't say, well, look, we preach Christ to you so that you get saved. But now, here are, here are 10 rules. Here are the things that you have to do to excel. Look what he's preaching. Look in verse 28. What is he preaching? How do we get, how do we get to that goal? He said, we proclaim rules. Not in my Bible. It says, we proclaim him. And proclamation, I would say that it's not only for preaching the gospel for the unsaved, which is everybody would agree. But he says, proclamation of the gospel of Christ, which make you perfect in God, in Christ, for the believer and for the church. Paul You know, this is what makes preaching and ministry beautiful. Because we're not trying to disciple people somehow in some kind of form or shape by our standard. We want to bring them to Christ. All we want to do as we disciple people and as we train and teach people 
is to make them complete in Christ. And to make them realize that you can't. It's only in Christ. Plug in. It's like you're out of juice, out of battery. Plug into, into the plug. All you have to do, go by faith to him. And he will fill your life. Look, he's preaching Christ. That's what he's preaching. What kind of price? Christ is he preaching? In Colossians 1.15, he says, he begins this section and he says, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the image. We preach Christ, who is the image, who is able to represent Christ, God. Colossians 1.19, we read, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, all the completeness. We preach, Paul says, complete Christ could, who could fill you up. Check it out in verse Colossians 2, 9 and 10. He says, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in the bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. If I ask you, are you complete today? Well, it depends what you mean by it. You have all the fullness of God and Christ in you. Why? Because in verse 27, Paul says, which is Christ in you. Check this out. This is the logic. If we proclaim Christ who is completely full of God, and if this Christ is in you, then you are complete. Our fullness comes from our actualization or our faith in Christ's fullness. Now that's kind of hard to grasp, right? What are you talking about? Give us some things to do. Well, no, go back to Christ. He will make powerful representation in you. You see, going to the spiritual maturity through obedience impossible just to applying these rules it's impossible going by faith in Christ oh you will be obedient like crazy oh you will activate the full power of God believe in Christ he makes you complete now so whatever is potentially is yours Paul wants to activate and so well here's here's your open up open up open this these boxes it's like if God would send you, you know, send you packages and you, pa- and you have full of packages of goodies at home. Like he said, we preach Christ who is what? Verse 27. To whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory. He preaches the Christ who is full of riches and he is yours and he is in you. And, and all the mystery of the, of the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He preaches this hope, amazing hope for the Gentiles, those who have no hope. And if it's all stocked up in your house, but you just never open it. It's, it's just there, right? You know, I, I know I have it, but you never open it. You never actualize. You never open it up by faith. You never plug in yourself in Christ and say, well, I can't, but you do. And I'm opening your riches that could work mightily in you. You would never experience. Gospel power is available not only for the unbelievers, but for the believers too. It is power for every man to believe 
not only for the salvation, but also for their holiness and sanctification. I like how George Whitfield said, one, he said, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. Well, because it's gospel for everyone. It's the same Christ for everyone, for believers and unbelievers. Our message is one, Christ. He is the supreme in creation. He is supreme in salvation. He is the supreme in sanctification. We can add nothing to the fullness of Christ. You can't. And if Christ is our fullness, you can't add nothing to his fullness. Paul is laboring hard to proclaim a complete Christ. Complete Christ. He doesn't preach Christ 90% and then you are 10. He never does that. But there's the best day of your Christian life. The most holy of your Christian life is still so imperfect. So imperfect that you need Christ. You know how we encourage ourselves? And just keep trying. Yeah, and just keep trying. Keep doing that. Keep trying. And that would count. Well, Muslims think this way. If only I had a best emotion or best motivation, and no matter what happens, well, it's not. If you, if you, if you cut your measure, measurement and your spirituality by measure by wrong measurement, it's short. It's used for nothing. It's good for nothing. It's by believing that we are complete in Christ. Now, Paul is saying that this is for Christian also. So we proclaim Christ, and he does it two ways. He said, number one, admonish in every man. He's speaking to our mind, and he said, brothers and sisters, you have to think like mature. <laughs> it starts there. New th- th- oh, right? you, you have to think like mature. In your mind, you have to start thinking, I am complete in Christ. That's what Paul says. I want you to be admonished that you are in mind. So Paul in Romans 2, 12, 2, he said, do not be confirmed to the world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It starts here. When you think and treat yourself, I am complete in Christ. It doesn't depend my completeness on my day, but on my, what I set my mind. In Colossians 3, we read, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things about where Christ is. What is he telling us to do? Think about your maturity that is in Christ. Associate yourself with Christ. Attach yourself to Christ, who seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. When you read your Bible, set your mind on Christ. When you pray, set your mind on Christ. Seek, plug in into Christ's richness. The key to spiritual maturity is to plug in into Christ. Paul admonished in every believer. He said, you have to have a right focus. But then sometimes when we think about progress, and I think this, this word progressive sanctification is true. We are sanctified progressively. But when we're trying to progressively sanctify it, I think that's the right, wrong way of thinking. You see, Paul presents two categories of people in the church. Mature and immature. Infant, adult. 
There are no spiritual teenagers. There are. You won't find them. There are no spiritual teenagers in the Bible. And the reason why we shouldn't think this way, we should think in these complete terms, is because Bible tells us even about our sanctification in moving from one place to another in instance. Let me show you. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul in verse 5, he said, look, you believe in this complete Christ, and it fills you. Verse 5 says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. (laughs) He doesn't say, consider them as just slightly sick or going to die in like five years. He said, consider them right now dead. Today. What is this? Immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and great and greed, which amounts to idolatry. You can't progressively think about this way. So today, I'm going to conquer immorality. I I will keep the impurity, passion, and and the evil desires. I'll deal with them tomorrow. But today, I will do the immorality. You will never progress anywhere. You have to think in a radical thinking that you have nothing to offer, and this old self that is in with you, you have to kill and put it to death immediately, right now, and decisively. Do you see the radical change here? Colossians 3, verse 8 and 9. It's the same, same page. He says, Colossians 3, verses 8 and 9. But now you also, now, also, not tomorrow, now you also put them all aside. Not just progressively aside, all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. This is a this is a deal. Sometimes I act like immature. And then how do I move to maturity? By killing my flesh in an instance, going to Christ and say, My flesh can produce nothing. You can. I would say don't settle for less. Don't don't settle for less. You have a complete Christ. You have to have a complete devotion to him. Knowledge of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. You know, there's an illustration. Let's say, can I illustrate that really well? Let's say you are, you got married. And you move from your father's house. And I don't know if that happens to you, but, you know, it sometimes happens when we change the place of living. We automatically, in the first probably six months, could arrive at the destination that previously was ours. We were living there. So let's say that you are going from work and then you pop in into the father's driveway. And then you realize, uh, well... That's kind of silly. I'm, I don't live here anymore. So by habit, you're there. And so how do you change that? You don't want to be an idiot, right? Sitting there and just on go. You're not gradually moving from their house, even though you still have habit. You are put in reverse and go home because that's where you live. In the, in the maturity, the same way. Sometimes we act like immature, but when on this intersection, when we have this choice to make and we arrive at the wrong destination, we say, I, I act like child. I am immature. I don't, it doesn't matter that you're a pastor. It doesn't matter that you've been Christian faithful longs. You sometimes act like immature, and what do you do? You completely go to Christ who makes you mature in your thinking, associate yourself with Christ, and move. 
And guess what? Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Peter said, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining of life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He doesn't say that there's a partial power to change you. He doesn't say that there is some power to change you. He doesn't say that you have to go through certain hoops. He said, by the knowledge of him. And what is knowledge? You come to him and say, well, Christ, what do I have in you? I have perfectness. I have riches. I have your power. I have your might to deal with this sin. I don't have it in my own, but I'm plugging into the source unleashing the power of God. You see, maturity is a process of actualization of Christ's power, of Christ's completeness. It's when by faith you trust in that it is enough. This is where you start. Now, it may lead you to many different directions, to many different church, the, uh, the Christian disciplines, and that would be great. But the starting point the starting point, you arrive at Christ and you stay there. So what is Paul preaching? He said, look, verse 27, Christ is in you, full of riches, full of hope. You move outside of Christ, there's nothing. There's no riches. There's no hope. That is why so many times we get discouraged in Christian life because we created for ourselves a bucket, a checklist, a measuring tape by which we try to measure up, but we never satisfy. How in the world? How in the world, I ask myself, that I could read Bible many, many times back to back, that I could pray for hour a day and then miss on Christian maturity? Like I feel myself that I am not really progressing it is because at many moments, I did it outside of Christ. And it's so easy to say, well, that's just given. Of course, we need to start with Christ. But now what? My challenge is to you, think about your spiritual maturity as much as you stay in Christ. That's what Paul is proclaiming. Paul is proclaiming Jesus for spiritual maturity. That's the key. Jesus is the key to spiritual maturity. He is teaching us because of Christ. And Christ is full of God. And there's nothing lacking in him. We could, by faith, actualize the power. Isn't that what Christ did? He had all the power to do it in himself, but yet he actualized the power of the spirit in him. He walked in the spirit because he said, I could have done this thing in my power. But I'm not doing that. I'm going to submit and plug in by trusting God and that let him do it through me. Here's the point. By proclaiming Christ, Paul leads every believer to realize the fullness that we already have in Christ. It is this realization, it is this realization, this faith that activates the completeness and the fullness of Christ in us. And that leads us to maturity. So, number one, the goal, obvious, 
that you'll be complete and mature and perfect in God's eyes. Fully devoted, completely, not just partially. Second, we are actualizing this by faith in Christ who makes us complete. And the third is, let's say kind of go along with the second, that the expression of our actualization would be powerful life. It is the power. Like, you will walk in the power of God. It's like, Paul, how in the world you could do so much things? And he said, look, I, I am able to be in pain in my ministry, and I'm working with power. It is powerful. It's like obvious. When Paul says, again, for this purpose, right, the purpose is obvious. For this purpose, I'll also labor, striving according to his power. Paul says, I labor, I suffer. I suffer and I labor, but production, production is from God. Paul is really struggling. He's really working. He's really in pain to produce mature church, to convince us that we already have it. See, this is what part of heresy that comes in. Why he labors so hard? Because the heresy comes in. And the heresy went like something like that, Gnostic heresy, that Christ is a good beginning. It's good for your start of your salvation, but to lead you to God, you really have to have some other wisdom and knowledge which belongs only to the few ones. The completeness of Christ is not really completeness. It's just actualization. It's, It's just activation. It's just the beginning. It's just starting point. And now you're kind of on your own, and guess what? We are the, the people who know the knowledge. Uh, if, if you're familiar with this, there's an institute of Kabbalah. Uh, there's a Jewish kind of sect that, that present themselves that they know. Uh, they know the ways of this creator. And it's a secret thing. You can't know. They kind of tell you a little bit to clue you in. But you could read their books, but you won't understand unless the teacher says. And so this is what it means. And, and so the way to salvation of the world and of the uh, humanity is, is in Kabbalah, is in the secret knowledge of what to do. Well, this is something that happens. Like Christ is good. It's a beginning. It, it's good for your source of salvation. But to progress really in your life towards God and to, you need some other things like angels, worship of angels, like maybe self-abasement, maybe some tradition there, maybe, you know, and we have the list. We do have the list. We'll give it the list. Paul is battling against this, and he said, I am suffering to take this chaff away and leave Christ alone. I may ask you another question. Or maybe help you to think. Think about spiritually mature person. What do you think about that? When you meet a spiritually mature person, how does he look like? What does he show? What kind of power that flows from him? Um... I couldn't come to any other conclusion than when I see a humble person, like humble, 
who truly understands, truly understands that he is no match for anything, that he is this poor person, poor, poor in heart, just hunger and thirst, that he's absolutely dependent on Christ and that he's not moving from there. This is his destination at the feet of Christ, knowing that the only access to powerful life is in dependence on Christ. I would say that is a power. This is a spiritual maturity. We can't measure up by morality. Mormons would beat us right and left. They're so moral, you don't even match. I mean, they don't even drink Pepsi-Cola, man. Their sanctified version is just like way out, out there. How do you measure your spirituality? By your performance? Monk in a monastery performed better than you. By your busyness? That you're busy going back and there and forth and doing stuff and a bunch of ministries? Is that how you measure your maturity? Isn't the maturity in the knowledge of Christ that leads you to humility before him? That's what Paul says, as striving according to his power. I'm actualizing, I'm unleashing power of Christ in me. I'm unleashing. In Galatians 20, 220, you know, we say these words so easily, but we don't live this way, brothers and sisters. We don't. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. You see, I am a humble person who has nothing, who is worthy to be crucified. And it is no longer who lives, I who lives, but Christ lives in me. What is he talking about? And the life which is now I live in the flesh, I live by faith in God. What does faith says? That you are not, and he is, in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That will open up so much power in us. There's no easy way to maturity. You know, there's no shortcuts. We have to go to humility before him and rest at his feet. We have to. This is the path of our maturity. Maturity is when we're not going up in our ways and just making ourselves better, but going down. And the more faith you have, the more mature you are. The more humility before God and admission, the more power that you have. Lay aside your ambition. And I'm talking to myself here, brothers and sisters. Lay aside your own wisdom. Lay aside your self-assurance. Make Lord your ambition. Make Lord himself your hope and your salvation and your sanctification. Advance in humility. Believe in him more. Isn't this like the point of every trial that you are? Like God brings the trial and it seems to me that he wants to teach me one lesson. Just one. Trust me. You, you don't got it. I do. Trust me. Isn't 
true. Like I, I talk to people who are 70 years old and they say, I'm going through sufferings. And I said, what are you learning in this process? And they say, well, trust Jesus. Like maybe there's another lesson to learn, right? I mean, you've been in the fifth grade already or sixth grade or maturity. Maybe there's something else. That, and God is teaching us dependence on him. Dependence on him. Always dependence on him. We can't save ourselves, and we can't sanctify ourselves. Leaning on Jesus, it is our motto. When you deny yourself, you are activating humility. That's what the power of God is, the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The power is in admission that he covers you completely. When we run, we run for Christ. You know, a mature person is a humble person who depended on God. And we really grow in maturity in, in our completeness, understanding of how complete we are in Christ. When we realize that in ourselves, we have none of it. We're growing to his Christ likeness when we learn to depend on God in everything, in our lives, including our sanctification. And we are not running to be sanctified. We are running to Christ. We're running to know him. We're not running for different programs to become more holy, but we're running to him to be holy, to be satisfied, because he satisfied every need and he changed us into his image. Now, progressive sanctification is the real thing. But progressive sanctification happens when we completely trust Christ. Let him take care of that. Run after Jesus. Run after Christ who will make you mature. Then we could say this, with people, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I was once, what, what uh, was once. I, I am not what I will be. I am what I am by the grace of God. Father, we thank you for this time together. We love you. And we pray that we don't go astray from Christ, but that everything that we do that would lead us to one destination to Christ, whether it's our prayer, exercise reading, evangelism, almsgiving, discipleship, that it would also lead us to our Savior that we would seek him with all our hearts, completely devoted, who makes us complete. Help us to have this faith. In Christ's name we pray, amen.